Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. God has done so much, hasn't he? I mean, you think about what we just sang and who he is and this reality that, that we have a God that we can look to and say, if you do know more, you've done enough. Because of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, we have all that we need in him. He is sufficient and he is worthy of our praise. And that is a choice we make, amen? To say, God, you are worthy, you are good, you are faithful. I will worship and praise you for what you have done and even what you are doing. So good to be back over the last week or so, to, to just see God's hand on pathway, to be able to celebrate all of the ways this summer God has moved and worked. Hasn't our staff and the speakers been awesome? It has been such a great, great summer. I'm so, so thankful for what God has done in and through them and to see the amount of engagement and fruit. I mean, we've had almost 30 salvations in the last 30 days. There was a moment where I was like, yeah, let's give God honor and praise. Uh, if you didn't know, I, I was gone for a few weeks, mission trip and then a time of renewal. And as I'm watching, you know, these salvations, I'm going, man, I need to take a break more often. I mean, how great is that? Like what God is doing. And uh, we've got people signed up for baptism. And uh, it is just so exciting to see God's hand on his church and what he is doing. He gets all the praise and the honor and the glory. Amen. And so as we enter into his word today, we're in this series called Generations. You know, what does it mean to follow by faith? And as we look at this idea today of choices, of what does it mean to make choices and to do it in a way that honors Christ and follows by faith, believe you're here for a reason because every day we're inundated with choices. Every day we have an opportunity of who we will follow, what choices will we make, and I believe God has something to say to each of us today, amen? So I'm gonna pray us in, and I'm gonna ask that if you need the prayer, great, receive it. But I'm gonna also ask that maybe where you're at, you could pray for me and for God's word, amen? It's a back and forth, because ultimately it's all about him. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we praise you for what you have done, for your work on the cross for your death and resurrection, for the fact that we can declare you and follow you and make the choice to praise and to worship and to surrender and to say, Lord, you are it. Father, as we enter into your word, I pray that you would be revealed in and through your scriptures. You know what each person online and in person uh, is carrying today? I pray they can lay it down and let go and allow you to be their lifter. Father, I just ask that you would do a mighty work and allow us to choose you above all else. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we enter into this message and into his word about choices. Tell your neighbor it's time to make some choices. Now turn to the other neighbor that wasn't your first choice and tell them it's time to make some choices. If you're that second neighbor, they love you too. We are so glad you are here as well. You know, we do. We have choices, and it's time to make some in a way that maybe is different than what we're used to. Uh, you know, you've probably seen the same studies I have, that on average, it's believed that we make 35,000 choices a day as an adult. 
Now, some of them are intuitive, some of them are subconscious, some of them we're not even aware of, and that's why it's so important. If we're making 35,000 choices a day, that we have to be in alignment to something bigger than ourselves if those choices are actually gonna line up with what God's will is and his plan for our lives, amen? And that's why his word is so important. If you have your Bible today, and if you don't have one, there's some in the chairs around you. If you don't own one, take it. It's a gift from us. We'd love for you to have that. Uh, If you have yours, great. If it's on your device, great. It'll be on the screen too. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 23, it says this, by faith, can you say by faith? By faith, faith, which is what this whole series has been about. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. If you're taking notes, which by the way, we supply these at pathwayvb.com slash FYI, if you wanna follow along that way. If you're taking notes, the first thing we wanna look at here is this reality that we need to make the choice to identify with Christ over culture. You see, it's said that they, by faith, the parents made a decision to choose to protect the child, the one that they saw as beautiful. And we need to be reminded that in Psalm 139, it tells us very clearly that there are no mistakes that regardless of how we've arrived in the world, that there is a God who shapes and fashions us in the womb. And and he sees us as created in his image. And we need to be sometimes reminded of that and, and even reminded of that in those hard days of parenting, anybody? Or grandparenting? And so the parents actually saw in their child the beauty and they didn't allow the culture around them to actually begin to get in the way. You see, when it says that the king, Pharaoh, had an edict, that edict was because in that moment in time, the Egyptian empire was being threatened in their mind by the people of God, the Israelites, who were growing and multiplying. And and as they grew and multiplied, he put out an edict that we're gonna kill the, the males before age two. Can you imagine? And so when we read that word edict, there's a lot more to it. There's actually a law that is coming against the people of God and the parents make a choice for God, Christ, over culture. It's interesting what happens because they set in motion for the next 40 years a difference that is made in Moses' life It it, it positions their choice for him to be prepared, uh, for him to be educated and rescued and saved for the very assignment that God had for him. One choice, 40 years, and multiple generations after that. Don't think for a moment, parents and grandparents and those of us making decisions, educators, for the next generation that your choices can't make a difference. Because by faith, they absolutely can. Now, when you think about what would that look like today, you know, I mean, you have a culture then that was literally trying to kill the people of God. I wonder if we're able to look around and realize how much our current culture is anti-Christ. That that actually there are days where when we look at the risk, we may be going, is it worth the reward? 
Can you imagine the parents asking the question in that day and age, is it worth the risk of being caught to protect our child? Is it worth the risk? Is there actually a reward that will be ours? And we need to know that the greatest rewards in the kingdom of God come when we obey him. When we obey him, when we do what he shows us, when we do his will, there is a reward that comes with obedience, a word that most of us left in childhood with disdain and we don't like. Can you say the word obedience? Can you say it like it could be a good thing in your life and walk with God? Let me hear you say the word obedience. You see, they sensed that God was saying, this is what you need to do to protect your child. They obeyed him, even though it was risky, and there was a great reward for them and even for us today, as God used, as you'll see, Moses in such a mighty way. What does that mean for us to to look around at the culture around us and realize, as many of us know, we're in a cultural battle in our country and in the world, that there are cultural wars, that there are things warring against the people of God. Politically, we see it, and it's gonna be ramping up in the days ahead because we're in election cycle. That, that there are things being pressed on us in, in society, right? It's, it's things like, how do we view, how do we view ethnicity? How do we view economics? How do we view Identity, how do we view sexual morality, sexual identity? All of these things right now are incredibly confused in our world, can we acknowledge that? And and in that, there's a culture that underneath these battles and wars is anti-Christ, anti-God, and in many ways, we would say anti-biblical truth and values. So are we willing, as his parents were, to look at that and then look to God and say we will choose Christ over culture. It's worth the reward to obey him, amen? Amen. So as all of these things press in and and war against us and the people of God, it's interesting how stories have so much more to say than sometimes we see at surface value. Let's go to Acts chapter seven, a recounting of this moment with Moses. Says in Acts chapter seven, verse 17, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. So this king, this ruler, did not know the people of God, did not know Joseph, did not know that God's hand was on them. It says he dwelt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. That moment is actually a amazing moment where his mother releases her into the Nile, into the river, and she's found by, he's found by Pharaoh's daughter. Then she's invited to nurse him and to raise him. I mean, you have to know when we take a step of faith and obedience, God has an amazing way of continuing to order our steps and provide. Amen? 
And so verse 22, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. His name actually was given to them by the Egyptians, and in Hebrew, the closest we can draw from his name uh, in Hebrew is Meshah, uh, which actually means to draw out. Uh, the Egyptian equivalent actually means son. It's interesting if you think about the combination of that, that here's Moses, the one drawn out that's a son, and he leads the people out of captivity, out of a fallen culture. What does Jesus do? Jesus is the son that draws us out of a fallen world and cultural captivity. Can I get an amen? amen. Moses is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do and why we choose him over everything else. Now, in the New Testament, they were faced with the same thing we are, right? They were faced with all of these choices of a culture warring against them that was trying to partner with them and pull them sideways, backwards, and away from God and away from the plans that, they, that God had for him and for us today. And so it's actually in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18, that the apostle Paul says this to the church and I believe to us today. Listen to what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Yes, we're to be a light in the darkness, but we're not to be partnered with it. Amen? Amen. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Let that sink in if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Say separate. separate. To be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. It's incredible to think about what this means, isn't it? That there's a God that says, I, wanna, I want you to come out and be separate. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to choose me over the culture around you, over the noise, over everything that is warring against my very plans for you, for my church, for my kingdom, for the world around you. God is so good. And he invites us to that. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that to turn down the noise of life, right? To, to turn down the noise means that we have to make choices about how we allow things. And this is, rep this is a smartphone. Most of us have one. If you don't, you're on the right track probably. <laughs> and, and, and it's with these that often the world creeps in that things begin to, to get in our heads and in our hearts and in our minds and we begin to hear and compare to the voices of the world and to things that are not lining up with his truth. It's amazing when we begin to make the choice to say, God, how do you want to redeem this technology? How do you want to use this in my life? How do, how do I turn down the noise so I can hear you? Many of you know that I uh, am not afraid to say I'm a beach bum, and I love to go to the beach. 
One of the reasons is I love, love the sand, the sun, the water. I love all of that. But it's also oftentimes the place where God meets me, where the noise of everything else is turned down and I really can begin to hear his voice. As we've been going through this summer, we've had a summer study experiencing God on Wednesday nights. It's amazing what the Lord has done. There's still more than 100 people coming every Wednesday night, a part of that. The engagement is unreal what the Lord is doing. And we're all hungry and thirsty and saying, God, we wanna hear your voice. We wanna follow you. We wanna make the choice to do what you're showing us. It's actually in that study that Henry Blackaby, the author of it, says this. He says, God doesn't, sorry, wrong quote. He says, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. I want to just sit in this for a minute. Because this is significant. If we're going to choose Christ over culture, we've got to be able to hear from the Lord. And what he's saying is there's four primary ways that God speaks to us. First and foremost is the Bible. It's the scriptures. Then through prayer, through the prompting of the Spirit, maybe in others or in our own prayer life, we begin to hear from him. Through the church, which may mean that you're hearing from God right now in this moment during this service. But it also might mean that the church, we have to remember, isn't a service, it's not a building, it's the people of God. It's the wise counsel that you may actually talk to somebody full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit, as scripture says, who says, hey, here's what I think God's saying, and it begins to line up and confirm. This is why we need each other and shared discernment. And then fourth, circumstances. Now, on the left side, that's intentional. That's actually really probably in many ways, uh, at least the Bible at the top should be the, the primary focus. And then we have these other three that should line up. But, but how many of us know that, that it's on the right side that often we spend most of our time? I, I mean, anybody care to admit that when we're trying to make decisions and choices, that, that it's actually often circumstances that we're looking to for direction. And what we learn is that, that we live in a world that God can actually open doors, absolutely, but, but he also uh, can maybe say, I want you to discern through other means because you have multiple doors open in front of you or maybe multiple doors closed. You see, the enemy can also use circumstances to try to confuse us. This is a lot of what's happening in our world today. Can I get an amen? And so if, if we're always looking to circumstances for guidance and direction, we actually would then have to go back to maybe Moses' story and say, well, their circumstances, they took a risk despite the fact that death could be the end result. You see, sometimes God's gonna say, hey, that circumstance, you gotta trust me to take you through it over it, around it, deal with it, because that circumstance that you think is determining your future is not what I have and is not my final word on that matter. That, that actually we want to be able to hear God another way. So when I think about this, this is why it gets so valuable to spend time in God's word and to know his truth. 
few years ago, uh, the Barna Research Foundation found, uh, as they surveyed our country, that actually about 62% of America, uh, or Christians in particular, Christians in America said that they're deeply spiritual, 62%. It's not bad, right? But as they drilled into that group of people, what they found were that only 16% had a biblical worldview that actually were bringing their deeply spiritual matters back to the word of God and allowing God to be the final word on it. 16%, what does that mean? It means that much of American Christianity lacks a word view. Woo, church. Right? We lack the word of God being able to instruct and shape and speak. And we need to be able to hear from him if we're going to make the decisions and choices that ultimately he has for us. So a commitment, a choice could be that we could say, you know what, God, on anything major, if these four don't line up, if I don't have your word to speak to it, I'm not gonna move forward. I'm gonna wait on you. I'm gonna be still. I'm gonna let you speak. Cindy, come on, girl. My wife, right here. Y'all forgot who my wife is? Come on. So Cindy and I, 22nd year of marriage, lots of of good that God has done, lots of ups and downs being in ministry most of that time. Through it all, we've had a commitment on any major decision that we're gonna trust the Lord to confirm all four of those before we move forward. Do you know I didn't accept the call to be your pastor back in 2020 until all four of those were confirmed? Your vote mattered, it was one of the circumstances but it wasn't the only, only thing I needed to hear from God, amen? And I just submit to you and encourage you to begin to adopt the same posture, to say, God, I, I don't wanna move, I don't wanna make the choice unless it's you, and so if we're gonna step out and be separate from the world around us, we've got to spend time with God and listen to him and allow him to steer the ship. As I've said before, Jesus was never meant to be our co-pilot. He's meant to be the pilot, the Lord, the king, the one that makes the decisions, amen? So back, that was just the first verse of Hebrews 11 that I read. That was one verse. <laughs> you ready for the next few? Here we go. Verse 24. By faith, say by faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, so now we're 40 years later, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If you're taking note, notes, we, just as he did, just as his parents did, we need to make the choice to identify with Christ's people over culture. And this is not an easy choice to make in this day and age. To, to say, I'm gonna identify with Christ I'm going to identify with the body of Christ and his people. Moses chose to do that when he could have had it a lot easier. He, he could have taken the easy route. He could have stayed connected to the Egyptians. He could have acted as if he wasn't 
a part of the people of God. He could have ignored their suffering. And instead, he chose to identify with them and identify with them even when it meant suffering with them. To actually be a part of the people of God in a hard time. Now, we know, according to Scripture, that there will be hard times, that there will be trouble, there will be tribulation, there will be persecution in the end times, which, by the way, since Jesus ascended, we've been living in the end times. And a lot of the signs we read about in Scripture are increasing right now. So what does that mean? That we will see persecution and tribulation and suffering. And and this right now is something we have to be willing to identify with Christ and his church and his people, even when the culture has said it's no longer popular to be a Christian. Have you noticed? I mean, in some ways here in Vera, we're blessed. On the Treasure Coast, Florida, we're kind of still in the Bible Belt. But there's still a lot of people, even around here and across our country, where it's no longer culturally acceptable or cool to identify as a Christian and as a part of Christ's people. Should we be surprised? We shouldn't. But we also shouldn't be discouraged. We should be encouraged because these are things that we, as we come to Scripture, learn that are a part of following Christ. Now, as Moses made that choice, he would spend 40 years in the desert. Let me read to you what happened in Acts chapter seven again, because as he made a choice, he also made a mistake. Anybody made a mistake after you tried? (laughs) Like, you're like, all right. I mean, some of you are like, man, I don't know if I can get through this afternoon without screwing up. And uh, the beauty of this is when we choose Christ, we also realize there's a process to what God does and uses and how he prepares us. Let Let me read to you Acts Uh, 7 again, verse uh, 23. This parallels what we just read in Hebrews 11. It says, when he was 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. That's a nice way of saying he got in a fight and killed somebody, okay? Uh, Exodus 2, if you need to read this on your own later, I would encourage you if it's new to you. Uh, Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong wrong each other? So, So he's trying to get them to reconcile, and it is not time. Anybody else got ahead of God? Okay. He's a little bit ahead of God here. It says, but the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. What does that mean? As he chose to identify with Christ's people of a culture, he also took things into his own hands and made a mistake. As he made that mistake, he got ahead of God. The beauty of God's grace and mercy is God will use all of that, but that meant for the next 40 years, that choice that Moses made, God had to prepare his character. Can you say the word preparation? I didn't think that through because immediately in my head I heard preparation H. I'm sorry. Um, Just letting you in on my life a little bit. You're like, man, 
This is why we need to pray for our pastor. Preparation is part of God's process. You see, God took Moses into the wilderness and for 40 years he learned how to be a parent, he learned how to shepherd, he learned how to develop a heart that was soft to hearing from God in order that when it was time, he could be led by the Lord to deliver the people because the process needed preparation. And for many of us, this is the word you needed to hear today. That, that you've made choices, now you need to come back to God. You need to allow him to make sense of them, to speak into them. Maybe some of them were right, maybe some of them were wrong. Maybe you've made a terrible mistake and there's a God who says, I wanna welcome you with open arms, I wanna meet you with my grace and mercy because I'm not done with you. But in the not being done, he has work and adjustments he needs to do in your heart, in your head, to bring all of that into alignment. Part of my time away was reading and reflecting, journaling, spending time with the Lord. I, I think I read around seven books over that few week period. And in that, I journaled and spent time. I spent time with my family. I went on a mission trip to Uganda. It was incredible. But the last 10 days or so was a lot of time of really just saying, God, what are, what are you needing to do in me? And I'm gonna tell you, God slapped me upside my head multiple times. You ever been slapped around by God? Right? It's always in love, because he's good and he has more for us. But in many ways, God brought me back to things that I hadn't obeyed him on in the past, that he's saying, hey, it may seem little, but I need you to obey me on this. Hey, hey, here's an area where I want to adjust and, and I, I need to give you new boundaries. I need to give you new priorities. So I'm just telling you as your pastor, I know God's entering me into a time of preparation for what he wants to do next. And I believe if he's doing it with me, he's gonna be doing it with us. That there's a time of preparation of choosing Christ and his people so that we can begin to really say, God, what do you need me to do? How do you need me to adjust to be ready to really follow you? He sees our possibilities. He sees our potential. That's what he saw in Moses, and I believe he wants to understand he sees in us. Pastor Chris Hodges, an author, says this. God doesn't see what you are, but what you can become. He doesn't see actualities. He sees possibilities. Your creator sees greatness in you that you don't even see in yourself. So isn't that good news today? You see, when he puts his spirit inside of us and says we're the temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit is there, that's the greatness he sees inside of us. And he wants to bring that out more and more as we follow him, as we make the choice to say Christ over culture and Christ's people over culture. As we look at this, there's one more verse in Hebrews 11 that we'll cover today, verse 26. It says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Can you say reward? reward. He was looking to the reward. 
He wasn't looking to what the world could offer him. He wasn't looking to the things that that were in front of him circumstantially, whether positive or negative. He wasn't looking at the fact that to identify with Christ and, and his people meant he may suffer. He was looking to God and to the reward, and he chose Christ over it all. The invitation is the same for us today. And as we think about that and and what it would look like, there's no doubt that there's implications, right? We've gotta be able to raise our gaze. You know, we have things that enter our line of sight, things all around us. And, And the question becomes, as that verse said, is the treasures of the world getting in the way of the reward and the treasures of heaven? As some of you have heard me say over the last few months, I've been praying in 2023, God's laid it on my heart, that the treasure of the treasure coast would be Jesus. And I wonder what that looks like for us to pray that way, to be thankful for everything around us, everything that God has blessed. And I mean, y'all, we live in paradise. It's amazing. But how do we raise our gaze beyond that and say, may it begin with me that my treasure would really be Christ above all else. That he would be our reward. That he would be the one that, whether there's a risk, whether there's things that may come with following him. I mean, here's the deal, right? To follow Jesus, you may have people that think you've lost your mind. You may have coworkers that no longer want to identify with you. You may have people in your circle that you're the light, and that light is too bright. Have you noticed the world trying to find the dimmer switch on the light of Jesus lately? Trying to darken things? Y'all, we gotta turn it up. We've gotta, we gotta turn it up. <laughs> like we've got to turn up the light of Christ in this season. And there may be a cost to some of that. But I'm telling you, when we follow by faith, look at what happened for Moses' parents, what they set in motion. Look at what happened with Moses because on the back end of that 40 years, spoiler alert, we'll get to more of that next week, God moved mightily. So whatever he's doing, we want to make him our treasure, him our reward, him the one we're looking to and trusting through it all. As you think about then, okay, how does this play out today? What has God set in motion? In the New Testament, Uh, We're gonna turn there, and and we're gonna just look at two things that allow us to make the choice to identify with Christ. If you're taking notes, we make the choice to identify with Christ through baptism and through communion. You, You see, these two sacraments given to the church, the people of God, have a significant place in our walk with Jesus. It's actually in Acts chapter two, that the early church declared in the face of a fallen culture who Jesus was. They they began to tell those people present there that that Jesus that you just thought was another person was actually the incarnation of God, fully God, fully man. That he lived, that he died, that when he took that cross, he took the weight and sins of the world on him, that he in fact was the Messiah, is the Messiah, and when he rose again three days later, he demonstrated the ultimate power over, over death and sin and suffering. 
and that in that he is the life and the resurrection. He is the way and the truth. And as they declared that message, people sat there going, well, what do we do? What do we do if this is true? Acts 2, verse 37, here's what happened. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Can you say repent? Repent, repent means to ask for forgiveness and to turn a new way. It means literally to turn away from what we were doing and to turn to God so it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Man, we need to hear that today, don't we? So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what's the first thing that identifies us with Christ? It's repentance, receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that it's being baptized in the name of Jesus. Coming up in a couple weeks, we have a baptism weekend. Maybe for you, you've never been baptized. Do you know Jesus was baptized at age 30? He was an adult confessing believer baptized by his cousin John, the Baptist, how fitting. And as he was baptized, it actually set in motion his assignment over the next three years, which was the extension of the kingdom of God, signs and wonders, people being healed and delivered and set free. And then he took the cross, was resurrected, and so when we are baptized, we're identifying with Christ himself who was baptized and commanded the church to go out into all the world and teach and baptize. So maybe for you, you need a little more information. Maybe for you, it's time to say, I need to identify publicly, whether it's in the ocean on that Saturday or whether it's in service that Sunday. Sign up today and get more information. We have a baptism class next Sunday and would love to get with you. Even if you can't make next Sunday, we'll get with you and help you understand what baptism is all about, amen? So that's a one-time thing that happens in the life of a confessing believer that understands what they're doing and is saying, I am identifying with Jesus. And then there's communion, which Jesus said, as often as you gather, you should do this in remembrance of me. Communion was a part of the lifeblood of the early church. Let me read to you just a few more verses because right after they were baptized, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which symbolizes communion and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Can you picture why? They've identified with Christ. They've identified with his community. The church now 
becomes a place where people want to be a part of that because the way they lived was so different than the world around them. You see, when we receive communion, we come to a place of saying, Jesus, we're remembering your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, that as we do that, we're asking for him to renew us, to refresh us, to fill us fresh, and that's something that we do regularly to identify with Jesus. So before we receive communion together today, just a few next step questions for you to wrestle with. One, what is God revealing to you today about your real identity in Christ? Making the choice to identify with Christ, to let him be your identity above everything else, amen? Secondly, is there anything you need to separate from today? Is there any relationship, any unhealthy thing that maybe you're ingesting and putting into your life, whether it's uh, something you're watching or listening to or partaking in, that, that God's saying, it's time, I want you to choose me over that, I want you to separate. Is there anything he's showing you? And then third, Will you make the choice to identify with Christ today? Through baptism, through communion. And so as we go to the communion table figuratively this morning, I wanna just invite you to pull out the elements. If you don't have them, you can just put your hand up. If you're online, hopefully you've had time to find something, to find bread or juice or cracker. If you'll pull out the uh, small little wafer or cracker, we're gonna receive this together today. I'm gonna guide us through a time of identifying with Christ. You see, Jesus' body is symbolized by the bread. He is the bread of life. He is the one that imparts to us life. And his body was nailed to a cross for our sins. And so when we receive communion, we're receiving this as believers in Jesus Christ, as an act of declaration of what we believe, of the choice we've made. And then we invite him through repentance and self-examination to show us any area of our life that we need to bring to him, that he takes it and he goes, okay, I wanna adjust this. I want to forgive you of this. I want to set you free of this. So Jesus said, this is my body that is given for you. I'm going to give you a few seconds on your own if you just bow your head, and then I'll pray over us as we receive his body. Father, I thank you for your body, the bread of life. I thank you that you chose us first. As we come to you now, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for grace and mercy. And as we receive this, we could affirm that you are our life, that we are choosing you over everything around us that is wrong. You may receive his body, in Jesus' name.
as we look to the juice, what it symbolizes. This is the blood of Christ for you and I. Jesus' blood was shed. He is the atonement for our sins. You and I can try to work our way out of our problems. We can try to work our way into heaven and none of it will ever amount to anything. That it's actually in that place of realizing that we can't, but Jesus can. That it's his blood that covers us, his blood that empowers us by his grace to follow him. So I'm gonna give you, again, a few seconds just between you and the Lord to thank him for what he did for you on the cross. And then I'll pray over us. Jesus, we are so thankful, again, that you chose us, that you loved us enough to come and to die for our sins. We thank you for your blood. There is power in the blood of Jesus, power to forgive us, to wash over us, to live for you. And Jesus, today, as we receive and remember your blood, we choose you over everything around us. Pray, Father, that you would just wash over us, that you would empower us to be a people that would continue to choose to follow you. Jesus said to take this cup in remembrance of him. You may take it now. Father, we love you and praise you for this moment. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that our choices would reflect you, that we would be led by you by faith. Bless us now as we praise, as we worship, as we declare who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As we 